0: Welcome to Lucky Paper Radio. I'm your host, Andy. I'm here with my co-host, Anthony, cutting servings of food in half
1: Maddox, I don't do that as much as you think I do. You do it a lot. And to be clear, I'm not insulting you. It's not a drag. You, if you're going
0: to, like, you know, have a some kind of food from a shared food thing, right? Which, you know, pandemic times, there hasn't been as many shared food things around. But you will cut even the smallest little serving of food in half because you only want half of what's left. This is wildly exaggerated. A half a bagel
1: not. is a totally reasonable thing to take. I have if watched you, you cut, cut a mini
0: cupcake in half.
1: That's possible. Cut a Hershey it's Kiss
0: po- right in half and take half of it and say, I only want this much chocolate. Why would I take the whole Hershey Kiss? And to be clear, you have a much more responsible attitude towards this than I do because I'm the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm like, well... There's only three hot dogs left over. That's not enough for leftover hot dogs. Might as well just eat three more hot dogs, even though I'm already full.
1: I mean, sometimes you just want half a mini muffin. Is that so wrong? <laughs>
0: no, no, <to> be, I'm <laughs> saying it's not wrong. You're, you're being very sensitive. I said I'm not insulting you. This is just a thing about you. You're very as, willing to
1: cut a food in half. You just don't want too many of people like that in the same room at the same time, because then you start cutting halves in half, and then you start cutting those in half, and it's a whole thing.
0: Yeah. The number of things I've had a little half serving of, because you ate the first half serving of it in my life,
1: is a lot. It's true, actually. Yeah, I think that's maybe the the foundation of our relationship, is I can just <laughs> eat a half a thing. I eat and one and a half of everything, and you eat half of I everything. I never go back and I'm like, oh, hey, here's a half a thing I, I started earlier. <laughs> it
0: just disappears. Yes. When I'm around, <laughs> that will never happen. You will never have that just still be there 10 minutes later. Teamwork. Since we last recorded Lucky Paper Radio, you have... Sp- started a new cube which we talked about briefly on the last episode and we've drafted it two whole times since we last talked about it so Anthony this episode is basically dedicated to your new cube which if you settled on calling it the irregular cube
1: I'm tentatively going to go with the regular cube it's a little bit of a cutesy reference on an already obtuse <laughs> naming of another cube but Is it I, obtuse? I don't know. Just regular it's just a regular cube. Regular cube. This one's a little weird. It's the irregular cube tentatively. I like
0: it. This is the cube we referenced in the last episode where Anthony has designed a core. Is it a core
1: 330 that you have? Uh, currently, it's around 405 cars. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Anthony's designed a core cube that, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but you're trying to basically make sure that the core cube has the requisite densities of all the sort of necessary effects for like the major archetypes of the cube. It's got enough removal. It's got a good curve. It's got all of these less thrilling considerations addressed. And then you inject, so far it's been 32 that you're injecting? That's what I'm starting with. Yeah, and then you inject 32 cards from a separate list, the rare module, as it were. Not that it's actually rare limited, but, you know, the the effective rares. And these cards are build-arounds, huge power outliers, huge power downliers. What's the opposite of an outlier? An inlier? I think it's still an outlier in both directions. Mm, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Power outliers in one way, power outliers in the other way. And just build arounds you don't want to see every single time. Just a bunch
1: of cards that, you know, you don't want in every single draft for whatever reason. Right. So that's not the entire thing about this cube. But uh, I, th- I think that that's sort of been an interesting tool that's really allowed me to think about the design and the kinds of cards that I'm including in a really different way. Uh, and I just get more and more excited about it uh, the more more I'm experimenting with it. That's true the more you play it, too. Each time you play it, yeah. you get more excited about yeah. it. Yeah. So far. it's It's very new. We're going to focus on that in this episode,
0: so we'll start with a pack, one pick one from that cube instead of a listener-submitted cube, but if you want to have a pack from your cube on air on Lucky Paper Radio, just send it to mail at luckypaper.co with your name and pronouns, and we'll do your cube up next. Here's our pack, Anthony. I'm going to read it, so we have some number of these rares that ended up in this pack, and I have not looked very closely at either of these lists, frankly. I kind of wanted to draft it a little bit blind, honestly, because I do that so rarely in the cube world, so... I'm gonna guess which cards are
1: which cards are included in the rare module, and you can let me know if I'm right or wrong. Okay, I'll also caution you. Uh, so the way I intend to draft this in paper, we have like these small number of these higher powered cards, these rares, and the regular cube. But it's not like I mean, seeded... irregular cube. Sorry, the irregular cube. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like seeded packs. So I'm not making a pack and putting one rare on top right. of the stack. Like, just for logistical reasons, I'm much happier to be like, hey, I'm going to shuffle all these cards together and then not have to carry the whole rare module if I'm bringing the cube somewhere to draft it. So the idea is we might have a rare in this pack. Statistically, we're likely to. But we might have two or three or we might have none. Or 15. Or 15. Anything could happen. That would be quite a shock. The pack is a Johnny Vengeant.
0: Bayou Groff, <laughs> Briarhorn Cutthroat, Burst Lightning, Canyon Slough, Dauntless Bodyguard, Doomscar Oracle, Horizon Canopy, Acacian Crier, Nurturing Peatland, Repulse, Selfless Savior, Stirring Wildwood, Temple of Mystery, and Thelonite Hermit. My guess, Anthony, I'm very confident that a Johnny Vengeant is from the Rare module, just in terms of being a... Seemingly big power outlier here, and also I know that planeswalkers are a sometimes food for you, and so I'm gonna go ahead and assume a Johnny Vengeance is from the rare module.
1: Me get it, fruit anytime food, right. okay. sometime food.
0: The only other one that has some rare module vibes here to me is Thelonite Hermit, which is also a very powerful card. And you know, Sapperlink Tribal is that a thing you were trying to support in the main cube? I'm not sure. Not that you need sapperlings, other sapperlings for that card to be good, obviously, but I feel like there are some fringe themes that you want to pop up sometimes in this rare module, and I would not be surprised if the occasional
1: sapperling tribal deck wouldn't spark joy for you. The occasional sapperling deck does more than spark joy for me. I think, and you would think maybe I would have a better grasp on this, but Thilla Herman is actually in the main list. All right. Is there any other card here that is from the rare module? Uh, I'm fairly confident that it is just a Johnny Vengeance. All right. So... What are you taking, Anthony? It's really hard not to take a Johnny Vengeance. Yeah, well, right? like I want to tell baby. I want to tell a complicated hey. story, but oh boy, like uh, just like you say, Planeswalkers are a sometimes treat. I have very few Planeswalkers in. Now the stupid joke comes back to bite me in the ass uh in my regular cube <laughs> yeah baby <laughs> because they're just not my favorite card type to play with to be honest and i want to do something that's a little bit distinct from a lot of other higher powered cubes where people are you know really leaning into planeswalkers and they're integral to sort of the kind of gameplay i honestly really enjoy planeswalkers in retail limited where it's like an occasional thing that pops up and it's exciting and does impact the game in a very different way uh, johnny vengeance is not the most powerful planeswalker but i think in this context mm, it's, it's really good to perform yeah, I am taking a giant Vengeance
0: too. I'll just kind of hit that off of the past.
1: But you know what? <laughs> right right now hmm? is what? some time cookie. I'm, 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 I'm.
0: I think it's enough better than the rest of the pack here. So we're we're kind of having an interesting moment where this is part of what you are either trying to capture or it's collateral damage of what you're trying to capture where adding cards that are power outliers means that, yeah, we don't really have much of a pick here, I would say. The only other card that I am... In- considering is burst lightning yeah which is just a very very efficient removal spell it scales up with the game obviously and if this cube environment played a little differently i could even see taking burst lightning like let's just say hypothetically this was the games we're going to play out like games in my cube there i might prefer to start on a burst lightning rather than a johnny vengeance not that a johnny vengeance in my cube but i think the faster and more cutthroat the games are the more you need removal for huge problems at the exact right time the better burst lightning gets here the games I've played in this cube have been a little more value oriented, synergy oriented, and so I'm happy to have a powerful self-contained threat in a Johnny Vengeant as well.
1: Totally. I mean in in a cube like yours, efficiency, mana efficiency in particular is really core. Like that is yeah. that is fundamental to the way you draft uh, and draft well. Whereas here, yeah, it's it's I've really intentionally constrained card advantage, so you're not going to see a bunch of divinations or charter courses or Moldrifters, drifters, um, because I am trying to support different mechanics like madness and like really making the the effect on horizon canopy really matter in this cube and even you know discard things like the allocation crier we're seeing here. So because of that, this card that can generate repeated card advantage uh, effectively is going to really be important. So we're both on a Johnny Vengeant. Easy. Now, do you like this, <laughs> <laughs> or rather, uh,
0: let, let me hit you with the: Is this fun for you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so far, it's been fun for me. So I think this is a pretty easy pack. Like, we're there's a big power outlier, but we've drafted this a couple times, and obviously, that's not enough data to really give us a clear sense about how, like, what the optimal strategies are, how the gameplay really plays out. But it does mean we've opened a lot of packs, and yeah, from my experience, uh, it hasn't felt that way for for most of the packs I've opened. There is a lot of complexity and nuance because removal still matters, fixing still matters. And these sort of like a lot of the rare cards are fairly narrow. I, there are two
0: feelings I've had drafting this cube that I don't have drafting most cubes. One of them is the feeling we kind of have here with a Johnny Vengeant where it's like, well, this just has a much better card than the other cards. I'm just going to take it. Kind of a non-choice. I don't want to discount Burst Lightning too much, but a Johnny Vengeant, a much more powerful card in a vacuum than Burst Lightning uh, in this particular environment. The other experience I've had is the feeling of like, oh no, I didn't open anything broken. And I'm sure that other people <laughs> at this table have opened broken things, which this is definitely the cube I have played with I think the widest power level band when you take into account the ceiling on some of these rare cards, right? I mean, For you sure. have you have conspiracies in here, you have Mind Twist in here, you have Umazawa's Jite in here in a cube where, you know, you might be taking a Bayou Groff. Right. So I've definitely had that feeling too. And I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I think... Part of the thrill for me of, like, Mythic Rares and Limited is that they're your cards. So you get to open the cards. You don't get to keep them, right? Like, I think part of the thrill of, a, of opening, like, a, a Johnny Vengeant is, like, oh, I just opened a Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. Like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Now I own another Planeswalker, which is obviously not present here because it's a cube. It's not It's not for
1: keeps. Interesting. I mean, that's something that I've definitely thought about in cubes broadly. I haven't thought about it in this case specifically I don't have a good answer because that's not going to change. It's not, it's not I'm not going to let people an answer. Uh,
0: I'm not even a question. I'm just noting that I feel the spark of joy mm-hmm. when I open a Retail Limited pack. You know, we're drafting Throne of Eldraine and like, ooh, I got an Oko. Like, this is going to be great. Yeah. You know, that's fun to be like, oh, this is going to be one of the rare drafts of Retail Limited where I get to have a broken card. I don't feel that as much here. And I wonder if that's only because of the ownership thing. I also think part of it is that. I feel like if I do well in retail limited, it is more evident of my skill at magic overall. As opposed
1: to cube in general?
0: Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I think, you know, I feel like being good at drafting a particular cube or cube in general feels more like a
1: specialized skill, just because it's less popular. It's less common, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's just that, like, if I say, oh, I can, like, 3-0 this draft of Strixhaven, I know that that's something, like other people are doing I can compare my record to LSV's record and like feel like we are doing the same thing and we can compare that experience whereas LSV's never gonna play my cube Dark LSV i hate to admit <laughs> so it's like hey, we, man never say never even if i'm very good at it like that doesn't feel like a meaningful skill because i can't compare it to other people's skill right right and i guess the other thing is that i mean maybe a part of it is that like you know we, we
0: pay for drafts like you've spent money on it and the idea of like spending money on something and then like now i get my broken rare for this thing i spent money on like i don't know i i feel like i remember notable drafts in retail limited more than i remember notable cube drafts Par- definitely partially because i feel like notable cube drafts like they're supposed to be notable. Like, the the, the format is designed right, to right. be notable, whereas when the stars align and you do get to, you know, I might have already referenced my, like, 14 land Boros aggro deck from Guilds of Ravnica, which is still my favorite retail limited deck I ever drafted, where it was just wide open and I got nothing but, like, one, two, and three drops for this, like, super low-to-the-guard aggro deck. That felt, in some ways, more special. Is that the kind of special you're trying to capture here, or am I touching on a totally different kind of special that you're not trying or don't think it's possible to capture in cube.
1: No, that's entirely a huge part of it. Specifically in answer to your question about like opening cards that you're going to own and add to your collection, I think that that is legitimately a big part of the appeal... I mean it's it seems dumb to say that. Like or it seems it's like not. it seems dorky, like I wanna be the, the spike that just cares about opening the cards and like just drafting the good uncommons and winning and not caring about rares, but like it's fun to open mythics and it's fun to add cards to my collection. But that's not a thing that any cube experience has. So that's not really a factor. Right. What I'm thinking about, like, am I designing this cube differently from others? That's not really part of it. What is part of it is that experience you're talking about of like having a memorable draft where yeah. I had, like, for me, one of my most memorable was an Ultimate Masters draft. Uh, one of the very few that I did, and I had two copies of Sublime Archangel, a card that I absolutely <laughs> love. And just like smashed. Like, this is one of the easiest wins I've ever had.
0: Right. The games it was notable not because the games were interesting and skill testing and like you had a bunch of tight decisions to make. It was just like, ah, my cards are way better than yours. Ha <laughs> 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 This is Well, fine.
1: no, that is that's <laughs> also reductive because I I never had both of them in play at the same time, and Aww. that was a huge disappointment.
0: I'll never forget. I'm surprised like, you didn't say one of your most. I guess this was technically not giraffe. This was sealed, but when you uh, assembled Brazella, that was
1: that was notable. Pretty, pretty exciting all kinds for of everybody. Axes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's totally the the experience that I want to curate. When you maybe this also sort of sounds a little bit corny, but like we talk a lot about how context matters, right? Mm, Do you think context is that matters? Us? Let me, I think let, me, th- let me check the uh, logs. Do you have notes? Context. Contact. It says here context matters. Context. Yeah, I think we context do talk bars.
0: about that quite a bit.
1: And when you open a Planeswalker in Limited, it's like it's exciting because it's unique. It's not the the card you open every time, yeah. and it's also unique compared to the rest of the cards in the in the field that you're playing with. Right. And in Cube, you just don't have that experience. So if I say, like, let's just take Sublime Archangel as an example, I know everyone loves this card. Mm-hmm. Um, if I open a Sublime Archangel, four mana, four four flyer, every creature gains exalted. Yeah, that sounds about right. Is that it? Did you say flying? Yeah. Yeah, it's got flying.
0: Well, it's us an angel. I assume people don't have flying.
1: If I put that into someone's Legacy Cube or Vintage cube it's like okay it's an angel that has some upside if i put that in here it's like okay it's a c minus like it it is not Mm, the same not the same card as if i open it in a limited draft like it's it's literally not the same card it does not perform the same way it doesn't you don't take it the same way in a draft you don't think about it the same way so i want to capture that experience of you get to open a cool card sometime and that will be a fun draft experience for you
0: yeah honestly maybe i mean we've done You've done, uh, I guess, the third draft of this cube. I've only mm-hmm. done two of them. Maybe this is just a matter of like getting used to this cube and drafting it more to appreciate the special moments. Mm-hmm. Because we're so used to building cubes and playing them that I kind of assume, like, oh, the experience I have playing this cube is like, uh, that's what this cube is like. But... To your point, if there's a bunch of cards, I'm only going to see very, very rarely. And you crunch the numbers, it was like a given rare, you'll see like 15% of each draft, basically. Yeah, something like that. I think it'll involve 15% of drafts, you will see a given things rare. I think getting a little yeah. bit more concrete, but yeah. So maybe it's just a matter of that. Like, once we do this 10 times, I'll be I'll start to appreciate the drafts I had of the first... I should say, too. My first two drafts, I both of them, I had Sovereign's Realm, which... Is a very particular kind of draft. We should talk more about Sovereign's Realm, maybe later. (laughs) Yeah, we will touch on conspiracies this episode, I think. Maybe specifically Sovereign's Realm. But yeah, so I guess, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just a matter of expectations where, like, it doesn't feel... That's something that... (laughs) That's something a cube does... That's a cost of playing a lot of cube, is that I do think you get a little bit desensitized to playing with cool, powerful cards, because you get... Which is, I mean... To say it's a cost is silly because the reason we play cube is because we like playing with the cards we want to play with. And so playing with them a lot right. and desensitizing ourselves then is not really a cost. It means you get to play with them a lot. But it's hard to imagine really capturing that special feeling of like a perfect stars aligned retail limited draft in a cube environment to me. Because cube decks tend to be great. And you play with powerful cards pretty much every time you draft any cube, even if
1: it's a pauper cube. So, so we'll see how that pans out, but... Let's talk
0: more about this playtesting. What did you think of the first two or three for you rounds of playtesting of the cube? What
1: are your overall impressions? Uh, My overall impressions are I'm optimistic. I think like I had a good time. Other people had a good time. People specifically mentioned that the, the draft portion being fun as well as the gameplay working pretty well i'm pretty happy that uh some pretty proactive decks that are focused on cards that are not just in the rare module are, are effective and like yeah. there's a lot of synergies that are really working um because that's like the most obvious biggest concern is like i don't want games to just be about who opened the most rares or who drew the most rares like i i also want there to be sort of a background a baseline of you can draft the like peasant deck uh and how do you balance that
0: because i mean certainly to some degree you do want the games to be about that because that's what the cube is about for so. sure so how do you balance that with, like, what's the right, how do you, I, how do you I, know if you're doing that right? Based I think on your that goals? the,
1: I don't know what the right balance is, but the the method is just going to be playtesting and seeing how games work. And, and you know, I, we can also overcompensate and say, well, if a lot of the uh, rare cards are, you know, big five mana creatures that are exciting when they hit the board, we can also increase the removal to sort of tone them down and make the, the format less about that. But if we make them, if we do it too much, we do it too much, like then yeah, you're still kind of my and
0: your Razor main right. mean nothing.
1: So we have a lot of
0: games decided by Razorman Mastercore. Razorman Mastercore, Mastercore card's very cool. really strong. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I, I do appreciate that aspect of a cube like this. Is i never played with Razor main Mastercore, right. and you know it's just a little too overcosted and not immediately impactful enough to make it into any of my cube lists. But if you don't have removal, that card is a huge issue. <laughs> right. It's a pretty cheap first striker that just bolts something for free every single turn. It's rough.
1: Right. And what's really exciting to me is that we're not just saying, like, well, this is, you know, a, a D in another cube, so it doesn't make it. It's not just saying, well, we've lowered the power level enough that it's a C here. It's an A. It's like, this is yeah. an incredible bomb. And that, like, again, it, context matters to the point where it is like it is a completely different card. And we get to capture an experience that that you wouldn't otherwise which, I, sh- I should say, this sort of, like, idea of having a rare module was not the core intention or, like, the initial intention of this cube. Did you have a portion of this list done before you even started adding the rare module? Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, I thought so. So, yeah, if we, if we take a little bit of a step back, I my main cube, my regular cube, is a lower power, sort of more synergy-focused cube. We have a lot of mechanics like landfall and uh, artifacts matter what else do we have in there? Spells matter. It's a lot of like little things of different scales. Some of the themes are pretty big and touch lots of colors. Some of them are fairly focused on just a couple individual cards, Mm -hmm. but it's all about these little overlapping mechanics. So there's a lot of flexibility in how you draft your deck. And, And often I should say like a lot of these mechanics are sort of like archetypes aren't big enough in terms of like the volume of cards or like the as fan of cards that you can really draft the spells matter deck. It's like, a- which is an right. intentional design decision to say that you're going to have a couple themes in every deck. Yeah, you have to dip into other things which to put a whole 40 Which you means you're not just drafting the same Spells matter deck every time it's going to be, well, I have Spells Matter, but then I've got a little bit of this, like, draw two cards and a little bit of this plus one, plus one counters and, like, the balance of that. I-, I think that's fairly successful in that cube.
0: Do you think it's actually possible to have a cube where an archetype is so on rails that every time you draft it, it feels the same? Are there cubes you've played where, like, the same
1: archetype always feels the same to you that's a great question i I think that in our play group uh, we're all fairly aware of that like that's something that we sort of arrived at pretty quickly so i haven't had a lot of that experience but i know a lot of cubes are designed that way where it's like yep blue white is the blink deck that's really the only thing there is happening here okay so you're just you're just being like specifically within a given
0: color pair sure not having one kind of successful deck you're not saying like when I draft blue red spells, it always feels exactly the same because I get exactly the same cards. There's a lot of like redundancy. Right, no.
1: You're just saying that blue red could do lots of different things. Right, right, right. Fair and enough. and again, it's like all these things are on a spectrum. It's like how much variation do you have from draft to draft is going to be somewhere in between. And even even in like the if we tried to design the most like on rails cube, I think you'd still get a dozen drafts out of it. Now there's really an little. interesting little design <laughs> challenge for us. Can we make the most possible on rails
0: draft experience in a cube? I think
1: I'm happy to leave that to a listener. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I might try that. I don't know. Or listener. listener. Someone do it. i want to see what, what that looks like.
1: So part of the design of my regular cube, though, is a little bit arbitrary. You know, I chose some starting points, some, like, kernel cards that I really enjoyed and built the mechanics around that. But mm-hmm. there's a lot that I couldn't fit in there. You know, I can't say, well, I also want an enchantment matters and plus one, plus one counter matters. Like, I, I just can't get enough cards into the cube that make all of those things work at the same time, right?
0: This is one of the... The true sad thing's about being a cube designer. You can't put everything in any cube. <laughs>
1: I try so hard. But here's what you can do. <laughs> but you, can't. you can just build a second cube. That and I, so, specifically, hey buddy, specifically, the specifically uh the limited resources episode about Time Spiral Remastered, LSV just got really excited and passionate about how much he was loving this set and how these specific mechanics of like morph and discard and suspend and madness all just like fit together and were so awesome and played so well together and I was like, "Yes." I also like those, and this idea of like, yeah, building this alternate regular cube to regular cube beta, whatever we want to call it, has been on my mind since I designed the cube initially. Mm -hmm. And that was just like the kick to be like, yes, these are a set of mechanics that really work together and are really exciting. Let's start doing this. Uh, And so that's really what this cube is about. There's a lot of madness, a lot of morph, a lot of graveyard interaction. So compared to my main cube... Or maybe it's my old crappy cube, that old junker. Regular cube. <laughs> Compared to my regular cube, it is much less focused on synergies that are about the board and what's in play. You know, like, here's my lord that cares about zombies. Uh, and much more about the graveyard and discard and yeah. uh, the hand and stuff like that. I love that. all those other and, zones. And timing. It's all about those zones. And then on top of that, this sort of idea of this rare module, which... You know, rarity is not a a new idea. Uh, We play a lot of limited and obviously limited has rarity. And we've talked about why that like contributes so much and adds like replayability. It adds variation. It adds these exciting moments. And we've also we actually even uh, did a pack one pick one from a listener cube that included a separate set of rares very similarly. Yeah, it's listener Josh,
0: who we did a pack one pick one from their cube on episode 20 and their cube had a similar thing so it was a core cube with a supplemental list which includes some subset of them in every draft
1: so i was working on this cube list based around sort of that set of mechanics and then something sort of sparked this you know got that seed to start growing and i was like maybe we should try this idea of this rare module and i at first was sort of like well this could be sort of this like little secondary accessory thing that maybe is a sometimes thing and i just thought more and more about it like this is actually not just a gimmick. This isn't just a novelty. This actually lets us do a whole lot of things for the cube that I actually think is sort of going to grow to become a core part of its identity. What, what are some of those things? So, I mean, the, the biggest, most obvious one is just what we've sort of been talking about of, like, making these powerful cards play in a powerful way and providing those really exciting right. moments where I can say, like, I didn't just play my C- minus huge angel. This is my A-plus angel, and I'm really excited to draft it and play it. That's actually a, a good way of putting it. A very succinct way of putting it is that it's
0: very difficult to design in an environment where the powerful cards play like very powerful cards and also the environment is not always decided by the same powerful cards because right like if if those cards are so powerful as to be defining of the environment then if you're just drafting a regular 360 card cube or even a 540 card cube, then every other draft is going to be decided by whoever gets Umazaba's Chite in your exactly, peasant yeah. cube or whatever, because that card is so much better than the rest of them. So if you want to play with Umazaba's Chite the way it felt in retail limited, which was you know largely completely unbeatable and like a, a rare thing it would come up sometimes, then you have to do it in this way.
1: And that's the other really key thing, is that I wanted these cards to play in a powerful way, but we've talked about this before, like, having one of the biggest drawbacks to having power outliers in a cube is not actually, like, more variance or just, like, bad, imbalanced gameplay, it's just that it gets a little bit repetitive, yeah, like... Whoever drafts, it's both. It's, it's a it little bit of both, but I think for me, at least the bigger factor is just that if Umazawa's Jite is always the card that decides the games and it's just a matter of, well, who opens that? It's going to feel a little old after the third draft. And I have this issue Generously. a little bit in my regular cube where there are definitely some power outliers. And they're a little bit mitigated because they're kind of build-arounds. The, the cube is a little bit bigger than 360, so they don't come up literally every time. But still, you see a lot of games that are ended by Kess and Nesting Dragon and uh, Archfiend of Ifnir. So being able to say we want some power outliers, but we want them to be different every time and like have these exciting, interesting moments. I think it's just really effective. And it's actually just going to, in like an almost stupidly obvious way, like, yeah, if you want variation between games, just play with some different cards. The other thing that I think it also enables is like really intense build arounds. So a card that not only would it not be that interesting to draft every time, like you you just wouldn't want to do it even if it was if it was an option.
0: Does that make any sense? Something that limits your draft decision so much that you would be like, oh great, I got to do this deck now because this card's really powerful. But you just don't want to every time
1: because it is such an intense build around that it really warps the actual draft decision. Is that what you're talking about? I guess so. Yeah, where it's like you don't necessarily well. You want to draft the Bolsa Citadel deck every time. I but if it's like card. an extremely powerful card like Bolsa Citadel... What does the Bolsa Citadel deck even look like? That's a good question. I mean...
0: I just like jamming it in any non-aggressive black deck in a cube of the appropriate power level.
1: All right, maybe let's, maybe let's take a more narrow one. How do you feel about Hardened Scales?
0: I love it in the combat trick cube, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like it anywhere else. Fair enough. Even in that combat trick cube, I should say... I'm a big devotee of the just designing more cubes until I get to play with all the cards I want to play with. The whole reason I built the Degenerate Micro Cube is that I wanted to play with some combos and I didn't like how combos behaved in relationship to fairer strategies in my regular environment. And then the Combat Trick Cube I built also to like play with build-arounds you can't play in other places. Hardened Scales included among them. Even in that environment, I think both Windy Constrictor and Conclave Mentor, which are the two, two drops that effectively have the Hardened Scales rules text. They're, they're both variations of it. They're not exactly the same, but they do it basically the same thing. Even those two are so much better than Hardened Scales uh, in that environment, which is which is funny to me because I don't follow Modern very closely, but my understanding is that I don't think either of them, or if they've seen much play in the Modern Hardened Scales deck, so like when you are building a constructed deck and you have total focus on the synergy, the efficiency of Hardened Scales and the difficulty to interact with Hardened Scales is yeah. huge. And then, even in that Combat Trick Cube, which is a smaller cube than normal, playing with a smaller deck size than normal to try and allow you to do build-arounds in Singleton that don't punish you completely. Hardened Scales is still worse than the same effect stapled to a, a creature, just because it's so
1: hard to have a build-around like that without a great floor in Limited. Yeah. So I feel like there's a sort of fatigue that can come with some of those kinds of experiences. I, you know, a better example is actually almost like Birthing Pod, where it's like a pretty exciting, Ooh, you're gonna get iconic card. <laughs> I, I don't think people I'm going to say anything bad about it. I'm going to say people love it. But I also think some people think it's a trap and some people will feel sort of like obligated. Like, oh, well, I opened this powerful card. Now I kind of have to do this. Or another really extreme example. What about Aetherflux Reservoir? Like, I I think you're just going to see that card and be like, this is an intense build around. If I just like see this get tabled every time or like... It's pretty good with of Citadel. It's pretty good with of Citadel. And I think that's like having these be rare moments might make you more willing to say like, well, I actually don't get the opportunity to draft these build arounds very often at all. So let me do it and be excited about it, try it. If it doesn't work, okay, that was my chance, but I don't, like, have to... I'm not going to see it again next time and be like, oh, there's this card again. didn't work last time. That's what I said about Sovereign's Realm. (laughs) Then look what (laughs) happened to me. Well, that's fair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My observations about this cube, I, again, didn't really look at the list ahead of time, partially because I really just, like I said, wanted to draft it a little bit blind. And I guess when we had talked about this idea, I had imagined the... The core cube being more flavorless than it is. As you said, like the core cube has its own identity, its own themes that you wanted right. to flesh out. And the rare module was the thing that was kind of added later on in the design process. You yeah. already had a list put together. And then you decided to augment it with this rare module. When I was thinking about this from a from a design perspective, I had imagined that the core cube was gonna be like, you know, red, burn, green, ramp, blue, counter spells, white creatures, you know, nothing really built around or synergistic, just kind of like bread-and-butter good cards, and then you'd be augmenting it with these other cards. Sure. That was thing, something that caught me off guard, is like I thought I'd be able to more easily recognize the rare module cards in the packs. Yeah. But that's something I like felt I heard pops up, and I'm like, I don't know. Is, is that supposed to be an every-time every thing or a sometimes treat? I don't actually know. And it turns out that's a morph card, and that morph is one of the things you're going for, so that actually is something that's in there every time. So that was interesting for me, noticing that.
1: Yeah, a card that's actually, I think, like, a, a good sort of example of kind of the way it's structured right now is, um, uh, now I'm forgetting, the Cycling Payoff card that makes Drake's... Drake
0: Haven! Drake Haven,
1: perfect. I was so close. That is a build-around that's in the main cube list, and, like... Oh, it I, is. I've seen it perform very well every time it's been in play, which has been a couple times. Uh, this blue-red Cycling deck is is very cool to see, and I've lost to every time. But yeah, so, like, there are build-arounds, there is sort of this texture, and I think that blurring those lines is actually... To me, that's much more appealing. I I could totally see both of those uh styles of saying, like, let's keep it much more like a corset and and really make it be about the the rares. I think that could work great as well. Um but I like keeping it a little bit less obvious.
0: Yeah. The other thing I noticed was you do have a lot of different goals with the cards in the rare module. Definitely. And I think this is gonna be a really challenging environment to learn from in a given draft. Like, I think yeah. it, it, iterating in this environment over time is going to be extraordinarily difficult. Not only because you've introduced a whole bunch of variants, right? So, like, right. how balanced does balance need to be when you're playing with these, like, you know, broken power outlier cards? That's a whole new question. And then every time you draft this cube, it plays, you know, 10% differently because 10% of the cards yeah. are pulled from this other set of pretty a pretty large pool of random cards. So knowing what is in balance is going to be, I think, really difficult. And one of the things that struck me was, like, some of the cards in the rare module are just kind of insane power outliers that you think it's fun to play with occasionally, but don't want to see every draft. That's the yeah. stuff like GTA Mind Twist, right? Hard for me to imagine any draft of this cube where those cards get opened and don't find their way into a deck enthusiastically. They're just extraordinarily powerful. Totally. Some other cards in this rare which, module... Which I'll
1: say but before you go on, like, I, th- I think that is a feature. Like, the fact sure, that it is yeah, going I don't to mean be that uh, all. slower and harder to iterate, like... To anything you do, there are there are positive and negatives too, and I think that that is a little bit more positive than negative that it's going to be a little bit slower to iterate, but we get a lot more variation.
0: What's more positive about it, do you think?
1: I mean, I, I think like the, the not the fact that it is slow to iterate and make changes and find balance, like that's not the positive part. But I think the fact that the reason we have that is this this increased variation in gameplay, like that's Right, you're really saying it's like a, a trade off you're willing to make, right. not that, yeah, Because right. I I do think, on a very
0: abstract level, I think changing your cube more often being more generous with changes is a better way for people to learn the entire environment they want like i am a huge favor sure. of a tight change life cycle right make a lot of additions make a lot of cuts do a lot of testing the more you're like willing to like move things around the less likely you are to get caught in some tight, local tight in terms of like feedback like speed of feedback loops and iteration and like how often yeah. you change it you mean yeah I, you know i see a lot of people that seem to feel like you know their cube list is this like Sacred thing, and they mm-hmm. don't want to like cut a card they like a lot. And it's like, look, if you cut the card and you miss it, you can always put it back, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's something I'm always telling myself is like, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to make these some pretty substantial changes to my cube for Strixhaven and associated cards, and I have to keep telling myself like, yeah, I can just cut this card, and if I miss it, I can always bring it back. It's not like I'm cutting it forever yeah. and I can never go back to it. So, but all all by way of saying, just in a very abstract sense, I like to adopt a fast and active life cycle of changes because I think that leads to a broader range of experience which informs my design decisions and here it's going to be very hard for you to get even like you only have like kind of a tip of the iceberg that's true every draft of any cube but even more so in this cube you know you're like uh what's the parable of the blind people trying to describe the elephant right like like your cube is this big elephant and you know you're holding like the foot and you're trying to like figure out what the environment's like but it's just actually it's a much bigger thing it's hard to describe
1: it's like a cube we're phyrexian obliterators here all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and phyrexian obliterator is a good example of a really powerful card yeah. that has weird limitations we wouldn't want to see a four pip black card in every single draft so anyway you have some really powerful cards that i feel like are going to be even in our first couple of drafts i feel like when those cards show up they are going to be defining of that particular draft to some degree right the conspiracies yeah. are other even more obvious example. We'll talk more about conspiracies later on in this episode. Then you also have stuff like Burning Vengeance, which is a cool, very narrow build around. This is the enchantment from Innistrad that lets you deal two damage to any target when you cast a spell from your graveyard, which is a you know ties in with flashback and uh, you know all those various cast-from-graveyard themes. And a card like that, I totally get why it's in the rare module, right? Because you don't want a Burning Vengeance in every draft. It's too narrow of a build around. It would be either... Not fun, or does not play that often. But the payoff is also not super-duper high, and so I feel like that's going to have to show up in, like, 10 or 12 drafts before anybody even tries to do it. And this, like, weird tension you have in the rare module between cards that people are going to be enthusiastically jamming their decks every single time because they're huge power outliers, and cards that are so narrow that most of the time they're not going to work, even when they're included... Like it's gonna be a long time, I think, before you get any reps with Burning Vengeance to make a decision about whether that fits or not.
1: Does it change your argument if I tell you that Burning Vengeance is just in the main list? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a maybe a not a great example because I think that card's just like not quite powerful enough. Like there's not enough support for it.
0: Can you can you think of a of a very narrow build around in the rare module real quick? Let me look at the list because I do want to have this discussion. Yeah. No, I, think there's I I plenty. can't like, think of another example right now off the top of my head.
1: If I'm just looking at red cards, like Double Vision, a weird card that the Cube Cobra recommender really tells me I should put in my regular cube, I think is interesting here as this like occasional build around. I guess maybe the best example of this is actually the Storm cards.
0: Are those in the main list too, you yeah. sick freak? Yeah. You are yeah. sick. <laughs> All those Storm cards are in the
1: main list? Of
0: course. Oh my goodness. I didn't. I like started looking at the enhancement list of it i was like no wait i know for sure that ignite memories can't possibly be in the main oh, list. actually
1: ignite memories was in the rare list but i cut that oh okay
0: okay see i'm, I'm getting so confused here. Things yeah. are just yeah. you're adopting a very fast uh, life cycle of changes uh, yeah. which is something i've be- been getting a lot of
1: valuable feedback
0: um anyway how are you processing the fact that some of these cards when they show up in the rare module are going to be pretty commonly warping and some of the cards just by nature of your varying, varying reasons for putting cards in that pack, are just not going to get played, right? Thousand Year Storm. Let's talk about Thousand Year Storm. There's a card that's a very specific build around that is in the rare module. I feel like Thousand Year Storm is going to show up in quite a few drafts of this cube before anybody even plays it, right? Like, I'm going to have to get it pretty early, or maybe I already have been drafting a cheap spell tribal deck with some burn spells or something. What what are your goals for having a card like Thousand Year Storm in this rare module? And, and do you need playtesting
1: to know you've met those goals or or not? So there's a couple different things in what you're saying here. Part of it is just that like these rares are not all doing the same thing. Right. Some of them are there because they're extremely powerful and it's fun to play a powerful card sometimes. Some of them are here because they're just kind of wacky, and it's, like, cool to see it in a pack and be like, oh, nice. Earl of Squirrel. Some of them are... In the main list, too? It's not. Nope. That's okay. okay. Jeez. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not that unreasonable. Some of them, all right, Bag of Holding is in the rare list. And you know what? I just don't want to see it get tabled every single draft, the fact that it can just come up sometimes. And it's actually, I think, like, a relevant sort of build around here with all the cycling and stuff. There's this sort of balance issue of what uh how does the card actually perform is it actually good enough is are people like building around it and meeting their expectations uh which is one thing but i also just want to like have these cards be successful and that they make the draft experience fun and if you see a thousand year storm and you're like oh man can I do that? Like, did, am I set up to, to make this work? Even if you don't end up drafting it, like uh, that still added something that to that experience. That thought is still fun. Yeah. And maybe then you'll be like, oh, maybe, you know, I know this is a possibility. Maybe I'll think about that for the next, next time. And, you know, maybe it'll, it'll be the one in 10 draft where we're, that'll pop up again. So I, I feel like just creating that fun draft experience and, and people really responded to that immediately. Somebody was like, I was so shocked to see mind twist in pack three. Like, what is this card doing here? I think that if it makes that draft experience fun, that's still a success, even if every card isn't working. And that's, that's another, like there are so many of these weird little side benefits that have really made me feel like, no, this is not a gimmick. This is just a reasonable way for me to design this cube. That... It, it puts a lot less burden on a lot of these cards. They don't have to think like, oh, does this justify its slot? Is this is this card worth it? Is it making this particular archetype work? Because it's just not going to come up that often. And if we can sort of like work on balancing this core gameplay and this core experience, uh, then having some of these things be like, honestly, a little loosey-goosey is a great benefit. One of the things I loved about this
0: idea when we talked about it last time is just the idea of, you'll never have to make a cut from this rare module if you don't right. want to, right? Yeah. Like you can continue to, like, prune that core list to, like, find the right balance for those bread-and-butter archetypes you want. But if you just want to keep adding... Like, there's no there's no cost to having additional cards in this rare module, right? right? Like, so just adding cards as you like them. Like, that is a very freeing thing, I think, as a cube designer to be like, yeah, if I like a card and I think it might work sometimes, just put it in my rare module and then it, like, pops up every once in a while.
1: And it's so freeing. You know, you've talked about the, the difficulty of cutting cards from a cube. And here it's like there have been a couple cards that have started in the main list and I realized, well, it's actually that's pushing it a little bit. I can just bump it up to the rare module. Problem solved. I don't have to cut anything. I was going to ask, how often have you moved cards between the two? Uh, I'd say maybe a dozen. Okay. Mostly upwards to the rare module, but a couple the other way. How many of these rare module cards do you think slot into and augment
0: existing archetypes in the core list? You know, I know you have a discard madness kind Mm -hmm. of like cycling deck and I see hollow one in the rare module. So that seems like a card that you know, very much fits with the themes of the core cube and slots into that existing archetype. Versus, how many cards in this rare module are allowing you to draft a whole new kind of deck? Where when you get this card early, it does something that no card in the main cube does that totally changes your draft. In or not totally, I mean, I guess all the cards change your draft. How many cards in this rare module are cards that don't relate to the core archetypes that? Do something totally different. Maybe change your draft substantially if you get them early. And have you thought about the ratio of those in this rare module as well?
1: It's really hard to draw those lines. But if I had to give it a number, I would say like 30 to 40% of the cards are like, these are signal like build-arounds for the core archetypes. Does that in the, seem... in the rare module. I think so. It's like it's really hard to draw those lines. Like Misik's Mastery, it's like, is this a Spells Matters card or is this just a reasonable card you put in your deck? Is it's uh, not reasonable, right? I'm <laughs> that card again. a Kintree Spirit and Luminarch Aspirin. are these part of the plus one plus one counter theme or are they just like solid cards you put in your proactive white deck?
0: I, I guess. I mean, the reason I wanted to ask about those, is I I can I understand better why the cards that do not match those archetypes are in the rare module, the cards that do fit those archetypes that are augmenting them, are they all there for power level reasons? Like these cards are just, they're on theme for the cube. They care about one sure. counters and cycling. Like those are the cards I think it's a much harder question of why is this not in the main list. Like if, if, this, yeah, yeah. if this works and is supported, unless it's like, you know, Archfiend of Ifnir, which I think you probably have in this rare module because you think it's more powerful than any of the cycling payoffs in the main cube and would be kind of just w- warping if it was seen every single draft. If it's not that, what are the other reasons to put those cards in there? Because, like, Hollow One doesn't strike me as an overwhelmingly powerful card that would be warping if it was in the main cube. So, like, what what made that distinction for you?
1: I mean, I think there is this weird thing where it's like, if I, if I see Hollow One in another cube that isn't, you know, this really high power where I know I'm going to be able to get Faith and and this is like a, almost a combo deck it's it's almost like too swingy. Like either I'm going to try and build around it and it's not really going to work or it is going to work, but like, or it's it's just not going to get played a lot of the time. So having these things that are more narrow that if you open them, that's like, that's a real motivation to maybe try and see if you can lean in that direction. But you don't then feel like, okay, nine out of 10 drafts, just like nobody plays this and it ends up getting left on the table. Is that what you think would happen with Hollow
0: One in the main list? It would just be ignored most of the time? I think
1: so. And And like, it's worth noting, like, some of these cards are su- substantially higher power, but I don't feel beholden to making sure there is an even power level here, that they are all oh, right, substantially. Sure. Because, again, that's another great benefit to people not knowing what the rares are and like what in a pack isn't a rare. So it really is a huge variety in terms of, like, why am I putting cards here? Whether it's just, like, this is a, an experience that is kind of oppressive to play against, so let's bump that up to rare module. It's like, this is pretty high variance. It doesn't come together a lot. Let's put that in the rare module. See, that's the one that I'm a little bit dubious of because
0: I see why the motivation would be to do that, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, well, a lot of times this card doesn't even get used, so let's just put it in like one-tenth of the drafts or whatever. But then it just means that the chances that it actually does get used are like even further decreased now, right? Yeah,
1: that's not untrue.
0: Because if the stars have to align under normal circumstances for me to play this card, if it was in the core list, what are the chances those same stars align and also I happen to have opened it in the supplemental card list I maybe that's what I was trying to get at earlier with what I thought was a Burning Vengeance, but actually it's in the main <laughs> list, is like these cards that are really committal build-arounds but don't have the power draw of some of the more powerful cards in this rare module that I feel like it's going to be really hard to know if those cards are playable because of how infrequently they're going to get played. And I, I appreciate that you're embracing like, yeah, a lot of these cards are just like not going to get played a lot. Like you're going to open cards that are unplayable in your colors. And that's just part of what this cube is about. There's going to be like...
1: Yeah, I mean, that's something that like this cube can uniquely offer. Right. Most cubes, you can't afford to do that. Um, and I, I think you... that's... I would argue that's a pretty small number of these cards. Like, Hollow One is reasonable where it's like, I think maybe it's only going to get played a third of the time that it gets open. What was this other silly one? Uh, Maskwood Nexus. But, you know, I pointed that out and some of our players are like, well, there's actually a couple places that's going to work pretty well. So I think a card is just fine given the power level here. I'm, I'll play Maskwood Nexus if I open see? it.
0: I think this is a really interesting experiment and I'm excited to see it evolve. I think there's just a lot of knobs to turn here. The last there are question, so many knobs, the last question I wanted to ask you just to say it out loud, some of the knobs that could be ripped off this control panel that would make this an easier cube to design. Like if you were to say, all right, this rare module is just power outliers, right? The, the whole reason cards end up here is because they're going to be draws no matter what they are always going to be appealing. They're going to be better than all the cards in the core cube list. That would make a lot of things simpler because you would just basically be able to say, all right, is this card a power outlier or not? That dictates whether or not it goes in this rare module. And then I think more importantly, you would get more reps in with those cards. Like when they showed up in the rare module, like people would draft them and play them more often than some of these cards people might overlook.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that might be overstated. Like I do think the, the vast, vast majority of these cards are even like they, they are light build arounds and they're just cards that people are going to play. Parhelion Two, that's a good example of one that <laughs> I almost, I almost cut. Yeah, there are a couple there. You're you're not On wrong, Sarah's but I think Wings? I, so. On Sarah's Wings is another interesting one where it's like the card's fairly good, but it's like kind of really swingy, and I don't think people love playing with enchantments most of the time. So just making this available occasionally, I think, is like a reasonable way to mix up the draft a little bit.
0: Anyway, that's one knob you could rip off. The other knob, to me, I think it's going to cause a lot of like you are basically trying to balance. In my mind, two cubes right now. You're trying to make sure this like core cube works mm-hmm. the archetypes, and that's a, that's not under. That's a challenge I don't want to understate. The idea of yeah. making a cube that has graveyard matters and plus one plus one counters and these overlapping and related but also kind of insular synergies that where it's not like well the plus one plus one counters deck always beats the graveyard deck or vice versa, right? Like having a balanced meta of those archetypes is, is a complicated thing in and of itself, and then on top of that. You're trying to figure out how these rare modules relate to that and like this relationship between the sort of core list and the rare module list. So that's a complicated thing.
1: And it's more complicated than just balancing these two lists together separately, right? Because also like the idea that this particular structure also enables like the five color green deck, which is something I really try to avoid in my regular cube. I think is actually much more interesting here because there's going to be variety in that deck and that like the confluence of these two sets makes that exist.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean, like, the two lists as in literally the list of core right. cards yeah, and the yeah. list of rare cards. I mean, they're tackling a couple of separate design challenges here. The The design yeah. challenge of, like, making this rare module work the way you want it to work, cause the kinds of drafts and games you want it to cause so you succeed in your design goals is a very different challenge than also making sure that, like, just on power level, the core archetypes in the main cube work and are not, not out of walk with each other. Right. Let's finish on conspiracies. Okay. <laughs> so... In our first draft of this cube, I got a Sovereign's Realm. This is the conspiracy that says your starting hand size is five. You may have no basic lands in your deck. And once per turn on your turn, you can exile a card from your hand to play basic lands from outside the game. And all basic lands tap for all colors of mana. So, Is it, is it
1: worth mentioning these conspiracies? They're kind of like companions if you've never seen them before. It's just a card that you draft. It's in your sideboard. You put it in the command zone at the beginning of, of the game. You always have access to always. it. And most of them impose some restriction on your deck or the way that you play uh, and give you some benefit.
0: And have we talked about conspiracies at all on the show before? Maybe in like very light in passing. passing. A lot of times, newer cube designers will be excited to play with the conspiracies because they were designed for like, to make the draft matter in an interesting, novel way right. that regular Black Border Magic cards can't really do. I and,
1: mean they're very similar to companions in that way like
0: yeah I guess mechanically it's not that they could be Karuga it, it says Black you
1: border. have to play expensive spells only and now your draft is extremely warped but you get this cool effect.
0: Yeah. And I think um some people underestimate just how powerful most of the conspiracies are in one-on-one draft cuz these conspiracies were designed for the set conspiracy and that was a multiplayer draft format where yeah. there's a lot of other politics and King making it play where having one player with much more powerful cards that are visible to the whole table is actually not a huge cost because they can just team up on that player and like take them out in one-on-one getting an effect like this all the time is extraordinarily powerful. My like baseline for this. I remember talking about this a lot when companions were spoiled was there's a conspiracy called Sentinel dispatch, which just says you start the game with a one, one defender artifact creature in play, which is pretty unassuming. Like, is that card any good? Who's to say? I think that card is extraordinarily powerful in one-on-one draft formats. Just getting to start the game with a 1-1 in play. You know, it's like, imagine that every single game, you got to have a Memnite that had Defender and drew a card with Enter end of the battlefield in your opening hand, right? Like, that's you get that every single game.
1: It's kind of insane when you talk about, like, a lot of cards that care about having a creature in play now you're just basically guaranteed if they're in your
0: opening hand you have a way to do that not to mention like good luck to any aggro deck that's trying to attack you because you're gonna basically eat one of their early attackers for free because it didn't even cost you a card and it's going to happen every single game you don't have to draw this card it just happens all the time yeah so that's a really unassuming card that is even if i wanted conspiracies in my main cube for example which is a power optimized cube i wouldn't touch Sentinel dispatch with a 10-foot pole way too powerful for my cube and that's a cube that has the Murderer's Row of really powerful cards that people put in their cubes. So Sovereign's Realm is extraordinarily powerful. When I first drafted it in our first draft of this cube, I did the thing that I have done it with other cubes of Sovereign's Realm, which is I basically tried to draft a five-color aggro deck because Sovereign's Realm makes it so you can cast all the spells in your hand no matter what, and it makes it so you can have exactly as many lands as you want no matter what. Now the cost of starting with an opening hand of five is a real cost. Uh, you know, I mean this card is extraordinarily powerful. It's worth paying that cost, but. It's you have to consider the fact that you're going to start every single game with five cards in your hand instead of seven. That's a big downside, and part of why I like to draft these like five color aggro decks is because aggro decks can start with a five card hand and it doesn't matter. Like if it's a good five card hand, they can they can win games where they're down on cards because they're not. That's not the the axis they're trying to win on. Right. They're it's trying a, it's to win a five on a tempo card access. hand,
1: but basically it lets you basically with sovereign's realm. You're just like playing some of your cards as
0: lands and they're five color lands. And you can play with different cards you want as 5-card lands, right? right. So you just like... You so can, here's
1: a situational like artifact removal. I don't need this right now. Right. That's a land. And by the way, once I hit my fourth land, I will never draw another land. And like that's how you use that That is a that huge value advantage. of
0: that card, yeah. And that's another reason I like the aggro decks is because if your curve stops at 3, you can just stop playing lands at 3. You'll always get exactly as many lands as you want exactly when you want them and allows you to curve out kind of perfectly every game. So... That's what I have often done in other cubes that have played Sovereign's Realm. It's like, I'm just going to take. It's also, frankly, really fun to play an aggro deck with like random blue and green creatures yeah. that are actually very, very good in aggro, except that most cubes don't have a density of ag- aggressive creatures in those colors to support those decks. But then you get to play like a Warkite Marauder in your like mostly red white aggro deck, and it's just easy to cast and it feels really strong. However, in this cube, because of the nature of this rare module, I think the card quality for, like, the generic aggro creatures was not good enough to to overcome the delta in just raw card power from other stuff people were playing. So I, I did draft, like, a five-color aggro deck, and I found that the deck was not good. I, I did not do a very good job, even though I have this broken Sovereign's Realm conspiracy, because my opponent just played, like, a 3-3 or whatever. If I didn't draw one of my removal spells, which removal is still at a premium in this list, you you definitely like to... You want removal to be something people have to seek out. It's not something you put in a huge abundance in, in your cube list. Yeah, fair. Because you want it to be something that's balanced in the draft. So I didn't have a ton of removal in my, in my list. As someone just played a 3-3, the quality of the 1 and 2 drops in this cube, just because the core list is much lower power level, was not enough to overcome people just playing three threes. So that deck really didn't work at all, which is why I was thrilled in the second draft when I got to draft Sovereign's Realm again and do something totally different. I basically just drafted all of the two-for-ones I could find, all of the card advantage I could find to make up for the fact that I was starting with a five-card hand, more conditional spells. That deck was a lot better, I think. I still had some games that I lost to really powerful cards from a rare module. Like, I just couldn't beat Mimic Vat and Rampaging Bailoffs, basically, in, uh, in one of our matches. Wh- where have you come down to these conspiracies? Like, they... I think it's kind of undeniable that they are the most warping to a draft. A card like Sovereign's yeah. Realm or World Knit allows you to draft in a whole different universe than the other players. I was completely ignoring color. I was completely ignoring all kinds of normal considerations of a draft when I was making my picks. So how do you feel about them now that you've played them a few times?
1: So it's not like this is my first experience with them. I don't know if you'll remember. I mean, this cube. uh, When I first designed regular cube, they were in there. Uh, yeah. They were one of the things where I was like like one of the things I love about drafting is the fact that you don't have a pick order you go into and just stick to like your choices change as the draft is going on and these are like the most extreme examples. Like yeah. you literally can't take creatures or can't take non-creatures anymore. Or you can't if you Have him of the wild. Or yeah, you you can just like play every color now. It just like makes you think about the cards in a completely different way. So, for that reason I'm really excited about them. But that was fun in that cube maybe three times mm-hmm. and especially because of the, they have a, a huge impact especially world knit and sovereign's realm on the the entire draft table because Either now you're just taking the most powerful cards, you're taking, like, people aren't getting rewarded by getting... Forget the, the, signals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people are like... oh, I You're found...
0: basically a bot picking at random as right. far as the rest of the table is concerned. I found
1: my lane, but then I never got the XYZ card, and then you look over at the end of the draft, and the player next to you has Sovereign's Realm, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I just got screwed and didn't have a chance. Um, and similar like WorldNet, also, like if you're trying to play it optimally, you'll take a lot of lands. Which similarly, if you're playing and you're hoping to get a certain number of lands in packs two and three and then somebody else's open world net, it can really negatively impact a draft. But I do still think they're interesting. So like again, this is one of the things that I think this rare module is going to enable is like these can happen every once in a while. Unfortunately, so far, they've been opened every single time. I actually just punished myself uh, this afternoon by trying to draft a world knit deck. Then opening Sovereign's Realm, I had to take it because I didn't want the the other players to have right, it. Right,
0: that's very important.
1: And then I read Worldnet very carefully and realized I had completely train wrecked myself and actually had to play Sovereign's Realm because if I played Worldnet, I had to play Sovereign's Realm and then I couldn't have a deck. Oh,
0: you have to play all the it's cards very in your pool, confusing. including the conspiracy. So I ended up
1: playing Sovereign's Realm rather than Worldnet, and I won. It was fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I mean, they, these I mean, are... They
0: do warp the... I mean, we have a friend that has a... Completely bonkers off the wall uncube that includes it's conspiracies insane. and includes all kinds of totally broken cards. I mean, we haven't played it in a while, but I, th- I think uh since we last played it, he has added a bunch of the cards that Robo Rosewater has spat out that yeah, greater are like, garden, totally greater back cards. These like really just hilariously broken meme cards. And still, in that environment, the conspiracies are by far the most defining part of that draft. Like, knowing that. Someone's going to open Sovereign's Realm. Someone's going to open him in the wild. Someone's going to open world Knit. totally changes the entire texture of the draft in a way that is not undone by the fact that somebody else is going to do magical hack plus planeswalkers and somebody else is going to do clock napper turns lock. Those things pale in comparison to the effect of the draft that the conspiracies have.
1: Yeah. So I think that it's going to be hopefully tuned to a degree where every once in a while it'll be a big splashy thing because they are really fun to draft with and it does create a unique experience. After all this conversation, I have to tell you, I already cut Sovereign's Realm. Just because oh, Worldnet and Sovereign's Realm do twice, <laughs> are so similar, ultimately, like they both kind of just say, you're playing everything you're drafting and you're playing five color pile. So I think that's sort of redundancy, and like they are different in a way that is kind of confusing. Like if you've seen one, I can't the remember other. a world that does off the top of my head. It's only exactly. you play every card in your pool. You play and every land. Tap for any color of mana. Correct, but it's also a little different because all lands, whereas right. Sovereign's Realm uh, only counts only turns. You basically your basics don't into want roomless. any non
0: basics in a Sovereign's Realm right. deck because Sovereign's Realm turns every single one of your cards into a modal. This is either Command Tower, yeah. or it's whatever card it is. And the difference between this card's either Command Tower or Creeping Tar Pit. That's a very minor difference. Even between, like, this card is a combat trick or a, a Command Tower. Like, that's a much more powerful card than two lands on either side of that mode.
1: So I cut one of those two similar conspiracies. Him of the Wilds is also in here. So this is, it gives the you a discount, of, yeah, a discount of one mana, one generic mana for the first creature you cast each turn. And you can't cast Instants or Sorceries. So, yeah, it's a mox that you always have in your opening hand mm-hmm. that also draws you a card yeah. <laughs> with some downside. But it does, you know, change the way the games play. It changes the way that you 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 pick cards. Uh, and this one doesn't... It's powerful, but it doesn't train wreck the draft for everyone else. So We had a fun conversation about Emissary's
0: Ploy, which is another one in this cube with uh, with the, with our play group. And like, that conversation alone, I think, is a good reason for me to keep it in that card. I think Emissary's Ploy is still broken. This is a card that basically says you can, at the beginning of the game choose one two or three and then creature spells at that cmc you can spend any mana to cast them so this can any, any color of mana to cast them so this changes your draft in that you can say well i'm going to take two drops in any color i want because i'm always going to name two with emissary's ploy or you can have a deck that has a very reasonable like it's just two color deck with creatures and you can just use this to basically say i'm always gonna be able to cast my two drop regardless of whether or not i drew my my correct lands or not this one is a little more unassuming, I think, to people. I think it's still extraordinarily broken, but some players are to disagree, and to me that's a great reason to include it. Like let people yeah. continue to play with this card and see if see if a consensus forms. And then once a consensus does form, then you can make the evaluation of like, is this card fun enough and worth it enough to keep in the rare module, or is it actually just too warping in the sovereign's realm kind of category that's gonna get cut.
1: I also just cut weight advantage, which is like the assault formation, uh, which is, you know, all creatures go in butts first. Uh, They deal combat damage, just your creatures combat damage with their toughness. Uh, After looking through the list, there's just like not enough creatures that it works with, which is an example of a build around that's really hard. I think to
0: support in the rare module kind of way, like well, you I, have I to think really it, warp the core cube. I think in order for work. that to be exciting when people open it in the rare module, like
1: the difference between that or you know, door in the siege tower, or arcades, or assault formation is you have it all the time, and your opponent can't remove it, so you can really dedicate drafting around it. But in this whole list, like I, again, like I want decks to overall be fairly proactive. I want to keep games a little bit snappy, so we're not just like getting mired in. Who has the biggest pile of bombs? Um, who has the most? What's the name of that artifact that it couldn't beat? Mimic Vat. Who has the most Mimic Vats? <laughs> mimic Vat is such a rude Magic card. It's,
0: it's a great example of a card that, just to go on a little, a little tangent about context, that's a card that was in my cube for a long time. I have since cut it because I don't think it's good enough for my cube. In cubes where it is good, it is warpingly good, right? Yeah. Like in a cube where Mimic Vat is good, it's really, really, really difficult to beat. And then, if the cube gets a little faster, all of a sudden, Mimic Vat just becomes bad all of a sudden. There's not really this middle ground, I feel like, where Mimic Vat is, like, a bog playable. <laughs> like, I, it's hard to imagine a cube where Mimic Vat is like, oh, yeah, this is a C plus, you know? Because it's either, either there's not going to be enough removal or proactive strategies to... It's a really
1: slow card. Either, it is a slow card, but I also think it has, like, really interesting lines of play. It leads to really
0: interesting games. I'm all for it in the rare module. I think it is totally there in terms of your goals for that rare module... I do think it's kind of similar in terms of power level to something like a mind twist, honestly, in this environment, wow. which I think is fine. It's just a really interesting example of how that context really does matter because when that card is good, hoo boy, it's like I can't beat a Dusk Legion it under a Mimic Vat. I just can't beat it. <laughs> you know, it's, it feels awful.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of where I am on these conspiracies. Like, they are so unique. And this is the only place that we can play them, right? Like we can't play. And I know, like playing at, them, buddy. i mean like, I was, I was excited that.
0: to play Sovereign's Realm two times. Yeah, you know, it it does it it makes you play a different game than the rest of the people at the table, which has a cost. But
1: so they're they're on the watch list. But, but it's but, fun to
0: do it, and I want to do emissary's Ploy next too, because you know people are telling me emissary's Ploy is not that broken, and I really want to you put gotta, them wrong. You got to show them wrong. Yeah.
1: So we also threw in one more after talking about this with some of uh some of our local play group. Unexpected potential. Have you heard of this one? I've heard of them all. This is the... So it's a hidden agenda. You secretly name one card in your deck, or maybe it doesn't have to be in your deck, Uh, and then you can spend mana uh, of any color to cast that one spell. So you get, like, one free splash for one card. And the way these work is that you can change that card every game. So if you want to... Presumably, if you're
0: playing that, you know, your main deck has to be locked in for game one, then whatever card you choose game one would be locked in. But then beyond that, you know, go to game two, you could basically draft a little, like, off-color sideboard of cards that you want to use Unexpected Potential for and then bring one into your deck naming a different card each time. That, to me, is uh, a a very cool and still extraordinarily powerful conspiracy that I would love to play with. So, yeah, leave it in. Sounds great.
1: Obviously, the big difference here is, like, yes, you have this conspiracy every game, but you you still have to draw the card that goes with it. So, it just sort of lets you augment one card or, like, make some weird splash. Uh, Maybe you end up drafting a Phyrexian Obliterator. Another
0: very powerful hidden agenda conspiracy is double stroke which just copies any spell you right. choose that one's still fun though like it's fun to I, I remember i got to draft double stroke in the wacky draft holiday wacky drafts the last time we had holiday wacky draft which was you know a year and a half ago at this point and i didn't have any really powerful spells in my, it was a wacky draft i had like random draft chaff right so i didn't have any specific card it was like oh yeah this is my broken card with double stroke and getting to like think every game like do i want to double up this ramp spell? Do I want to double up this like really over removal spell? Do I want to double up this combat trick? Was an interesting decision in the like pregame actions. And I wonder if that could happen here too. If you have like low enough power spells that something like double stroke wouldn't just be, oh, I copy my lightning bolt and now no creature deck can ever beat me.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, we do have Arcane Savant is like another example of a thing like that where if you draw the one other oh, spell yeah. that uh, it that can kind of just be like a five mana win the game. I'm curious to see how it's going to play out as well. Savant's in here too? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, there are some real weirdos. Like, I, I I went deep on this, and we we might reel it in a little bit. But yeah, we have conspiracy stuff like Arcane Savant. We have a Magical Hacker, which is a very weird card. I even threw in Staying Power. <laughs> uh, that's a weird one. It's a weird one. I don't know if it'll have Staying Power, but I'm curious to hey. see what
0: happens. Hey. All right.
1: All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, the one last thing I'll note about this cube is I'm actually really excited about it for playing Sealed one of the things that we've talked about with sealed in the past is that it can be really hard to build a pool because there's just like so many cards that either they're part of small interactions and you don't have the whole combo or there's just you know a huge pile of good cards it's it's very different from playing with booster packs where you have like these are my rares I want to make sure I get that like what's my fixing in like you don't have that same procedure with a lot of cubes for sealed and I think that having this uh disparity in power level will actually make Sealed uh, a lot more fun to build build decks from.
0: Yeah, almost a year ago when we started this podcast, I think our second episode was about mm-hmm. designing a cube specifically for a Sealed. And that was one of the things that I was excited about talking about the hypothetical environment was including big power level outliers that asked something of you in deck construction. So yeah, it was like, exactly. when you, so when you open your Sealed pool, it was more about like, which of these committal powerful cards am I going to build my deck around? And how am I going to combine them, right? Whereas I think regular cube sealed is, frankly, not that fun. I say regular cube is like if your cube is designed to be, <laughs> not not your regular cube. So you've done it. You've, I've done it. You've, I've you've destroyed you've, it. You've destroyed everything. <laughs> uh, sealed with a typical legacy vintage whatever cube where you're aiming for a narrow power delta and some generically powerful cards that are very flexible. It's really just overwhelming. It's like yeah. you have you open up sealed pool and you're like, well, which color did I get the most cards in? And I can build, you know, any four decks, you know, with that color as the main color. I guess
1: also those cubes tend to be, like, extremely synergistic. And when you have, like, oh, yeah, here's, I have Goblin Guide, and I have a worm Coil Engine, and I have uh, uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Like, these don't fit in the same deck. What am I supposed to do? Well, maybe two of those. <laughs> any two of those I would say you could combine.
0: Do a little do a blue-red tempo. Use Jace as a bounce a creature every single turn for three turns to close out the game
1: good point that's <laughs> it
0: for lucky paper radio i'm excited about this cube it makes me want to draft it more i want to draft arcane savant and Emissaries ploy gimme 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 i want to, I want to draft these cards and, and do broken things with them well
1: you're not going to get it every time so we have to draft it a lot how quickly
0: will i get tired of it i don't know a lot less quickly given that it's only going to come up in 15 percent of the drafts so i am a little bit over sovereign's realm already so i'm not sad to see it go because i got to do it twice so uh <laughs> you know as long as i'm the one that gets to with the broken cards before they get cut i am happy <laughs> All right, that's it. All her music is produced by DJ James Nassie. All the Magic Cards are made by Wizards of the Coast. All the listening is done by you, and all the talking is done by me and my friend, Anthony. Thanks for talking about Magic Cards with me, Anthony.
1: Until next time, Andy.
0: Hey, new sign-off.